This brings up so much lived trauma. Every single Indigenous person has a connection to a residential school story or trauma. It's so pervasive and so it's been so damaging and so hurtful that they're they're dealing with their own stuff right now. They're taking care of each other. They're checking in with each other. They're making sure that they're that everyone's okay. They're mourning, they're grieving, and they're relied upon to teach many white folks, many Canadians. They do want to teach us. They do want us to learn. But right now they're um, they're tired. I know some of the some of the folks that I'm connected to um, are taking social media breaks right now, and it's important to to just respect this time as this is a sacred time of of mourning and grief. And they have put so much out into the world already that we can access for our learning, and it's important right now to just do that. I'm chatting with Monica Martins, and Monica, we got connected by a teacher within the Hanover School Division. When things first happened, uh, came out in the news with the Kamloops 215, um, I reached out to this teacher because I know she's been doing stuff with Indigenous education, and she the very first name she recommended was yours. Without being too specific, why why did she recommend your name? Uh, This has been something that's been an interest of mine for a while. Um, I am a teacher in the Southeast, and uh, this was quite a few years ago, and um, I was learning about treaty education and the treaty process. And uh, I think just based on my own own history of a a person and the opportunities that I've had as part of um, the family that I grew up in, I just really took an interest in in this topic and it's just kind of grown and and stuff like that and for a few years I was I was um, really intentionally supporting teachers in their own learning about Indigenous uh, issues, education, history, things like that. Okay what kind of family did you grow up in when you say that? Um, My my family grew up, my parents worked in various countries in Africa so kind of having a different experience Hmm. there and then uh, my father worked for MCC, and he was—he um, worked at, in the Native Concerns Department. And so, as a result, we spent many summers traveling to different uh, Indigenous communities, and um, we spent one summer living on the Sapskong uh, Reserve, just across the border in Ontario. And those are really formative and lovely memories for me. Hmm. And um, yeah, so kind of having that that cross-cultural understanding made me really curious about, oh, I, you know, who I thought Indigenous people were, let's say, that I, that I learned in school, it's, they, they, they're not that. Right. There's something, something different, yeah. Right, and so you took that curiosity and yeah. included it in, in what you do now, so much so you're now heading back to university for your master's degree. What exactly are you studying? Yeah, I started this process a couple of years ago. When you're a teacher, you actually get to do your master's in the evening. So <laughs> you teach you teach all day and then you go to school in the evenings and wow. it just takes you twice as long to do it. Yeah, I bet. But, um, but I was really curious about um, uh, as we kind of do this unlearning or learning, right? In many ways, we're unlearning the things that we did 
that we learned growing up. Right. Um, and as that happens, what what are the portals or what are the ways that we um, move into a different space and a different way of being? So if, if I'm a teacher in a classroom, let's say I learn this new history, uh, this history that I didn't know, what how is that going to change who I am? What's, what's that piece in the middle that causes that change? That's what I'm really curious about and, and how that pulls us into a new way of being with each other. Um, and those, so that's kind of the question that I'm, that I'm interested in asking. And I think it's specific to teachers, but it's also specific to, like it can be about a, a lot of things, right? How right. does our learning cause us to change how we are in the world? Wow. Okay, and so- yeah, we'll see how it goes. So I, I'm starting on my uh, my research, my thesis proposal. I'm, I'm working on it this summer, I think, and we'll we'll see where it goes. And so you're surrounding a little bit of this, if I understood correctly, around um, the calls to action that came out of the Truth and Reconciliation mm-hmm. Report. A, a specific action step you are focusing on? Yeah, there's uh, several years ago. I've 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 spent. I had the opportunity to spend time with Nigon Sinclair learning about reconciliation and um, took groups of teachers to learn from him several years in a row. And he, he made reference to the calls to action often and, and have other mentors in my, in my life. And so I spent some time with the calls to action and thought like, which one do I really kind of want to dig into and explore as a, as a person and as a teacher, and, and there are all, the calls to action have many different sections. So mm-hmm. if you, it doesn't matter where you work or whether you're retired or um, whether you're a student, there are calls to action that are specific to your life circumstance and how you can kind of plug in. So I, um, I kind of took on call to action 63, uh, and there's, um, there's part of that one that ta- that calls on educators to build student capacity for intercultural understanding, empathy, and mutual respect. And then the caveat to that is that teachers also need to be able to live that and be that and understand that. So those have been kind of my two. And I think, I honestly think that you can't teach what you don't know. And so as teachers, we need to learn this first. And then we can pass it on to our students. Or sometimes we can do it together at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's, that's the one that I'm, that I'm called to uh, for myself that I've, that I've taken on. But there's many more that I kind of dip in and out of. But those are the ones that I have memorized and that are top of mind for me. And, and it was that call to action that, that kind of sparked a, hmm, how do we get there? Right, so you're going to be diving in and going exactly what does this look like? So yeah. I'm not asking you to tell me your thesis right now, but, right. Um, but what? <laughs> how do we build student capacity for this? Like, how do you build empathy and mutual respect with students? Yeah. Oh man, that is the question, right? Yeah. Um, I um, for me, so much of it has happened. Uh, in spending time with Indigenous people hmm. and making Indigenous friends and really listening to them. And um, they are some of the most beautiful, uh, it's some, been some of the most beautiful learning that I've ever been able to be a part of. It's so gentle. 
it's um there's like a quiet strength uh so gracious with how little us canadians know about who they are um and so just those those kinds of opportunities mm-hmm. i think invite invite learning right mm-hmm. invite um invite that empathy um and mutual respect i think it's really hard when big things as that have come out recently um it's so outside of my personal experience right that it's it's sometimes hard to fathom or believe i think like for my parents right for my mom who's a first generation canadian I think she understands this on a on a on a different level because of some of the things that she's experienced. But the difference between what my mom experienced and what Indigenous peoples are experiencing is that when my mom's family moved here and settled here, so much of those difficulties were lifted for their family. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they um, economic success started to happen for them. They were no longer being um having to run right from mm-hmm. from this the situation that they were in in Russia and um and they had the opportunity to flourish right. but for indigenous peoples many of the things that have happened are continuing to happen they just look a little bit different and so for them that has never that oppression has never lifted right Right. I and forget so, what your what your what your initial question was. I may have taken like a turn there. No, you're okay. I'm going to just mark a okay. time here. Um, we'll just pivot. Well, I know what I, when you were talking there, I was thinking about a conversation I'd had recently with Brett Schmale, and yeah. he kept referencing relationship. Yeah, is key, and I'm hearing that uh, in in your words as well relationship is going to where empathy and mutual respect is going to come from a place of relationship that's right yeah okay yeah and i think i think there are more indigenous people living in in the southeast than we are aware of i think some indigenous people are still in a if they can you know if they can kind of keep their identity hidden here um Many Indigenous peoples have done that if they've been able to do that because it has been unsafe to be who they are in our area. And so um, I know for me, as I've kind of begun to be much more open about what I've been learning, more and more people have said to me, oh, I, you know, I'm, I'm Indigenous, I'm Métis, or I, hmm. and, uh, and those are things that I've known some of these folks for you know, 20 years hmm. and and didn't know that. But I think as we create a safe community, a community that values, you know, and has an understanding and empathy and mutual respect for Indigenous peoples, um, we will, we will, those, those people will, will be able to flourish and be who they are. Um, I know it's still really hard in our community. I've had students in, in, um, tell me how difficult it is for them in our schools and some of the horrible things that they've been told. And, um, and these are the things that I, that I want to change. 
I, I want I want all people to be able to flourish and to be um, appreciated. And I think um, I think it's not only good for them, but it's good for us. It's good for Canadians to learn how to be that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. And that's going to come, you know, for our younger people, that's going to come from from everybody. That's going to come from education and learning more. And you yeah. are you are someone who's done a deep dive into the Indigenous experience. What are you seeing and hearing in in the last month? You know, it feels like every few days you turn on the news and there's an announcement of more unmarked graves. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually forget the total now. In the last few days, it's jumped up immensely. What are you, what are you hearing and feeling in these last in this last month specifically? Yeah, I'm just sensing so much heaviness and even frustration. I think because um, the volume four of the um, volume four of the summary of the Truth and Reconciliation Report um, is, you know, 200 and some pages that has documented exactly missing children and unmarked uh, burial sites. Uh, And that came out years ago. And Indigenous people have been talking about it. I remember um, at one of these uh, learning opportunities that I had with Migon Sinclair, I remember him this is several years ago, saying that he was going to publish the story on the unmarked graves in um, in Brandon. And he thought at that time that it would be a big story, and it, it just wasn't. Like, it was, it was just a regular news story. And I think Indigenous folks are saying, we've been telling you this for many, many years. And... and um, and so there's a bit of a frustration there that that this isn't new knowledge for them, right? They've been telling this story to their to their little ones from from when they've when, as they've grown up, and uh, it's us Canadians that haven't been paying attention. So I think that's kind of hitting me. How little Canadians know. Um, I'm a, I'm a bit surprised by that. I think too. I mean, not uh, yeah, not super surprised, but. Um, I'm encouraged too that yeah. that Canadians are wanting to learn. I think that's a really, um, I think that's hopeful. I think it's only as Canadians learn that things will be able to change. So that's really important. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I I I would agree. I'm I experienced a level of shock when um, when I you know have conversations with people and they have no knowledge. Of, yeah. of the residential school system. So clearly your um, master's program is going to help address some of that as far as, you know, learning about it in school. Yeah. And so, you know, if we can, if that call to action number 63 could become reality quickly, would be helpful. Yeah, Senator Murray Sinclair, he said something like... Um, that we need to remember that at the same time that Indigenous children were made to feel inferior in residential schools, generation after generation after generation of Canadian children 
were also were exposed to this false belief that they were superior, right? And among other things, we were taught other things, but for sure the residential school story was um, something that was intentionally not supposed to be taught in schools to Canadians. Canadians weren't supposed to learn about that for many years. And, um, and so I think, you know, we can feel really really bad and we can feel guilty or sh- or ashamed about the fact that we don't know these things but there also was a really intentional effort for us not to know these things and so to recognize that some of these things are systemic like they're baked into the way that we do things was for me a huge aha moment of learning because um it kind of took that that feeling of um, oh we're such horrible Canadians I'm so ashamed of us and and turned it more into a curiosity like oh this is this is systemic where in what other places is this kind of systemic um, cover up happening mm-hmm. and how can I uncover it how can I learn about it how can I, um, I it wasn't that I didn't learn about this because I didn't want to know it was. It was an intentional um, system that was put together to keep me thinking that um, me as a white Canadian, that I have a superiority over Indigenous peoples. And they were taught the opposite. And now we have this, uh, as, as Nigon Sinclair has said, we have this, um, this legacy or this inheritance that we have a responsibility towards and what are we going to do with this inheritance that we've been given? And that's what gets me kind of excited and, um, and, and what kind of drives my, my own work and my own learning is that we can, we can change how things are. It's going to take work. It's going to take generations. It's easy to get discouraged, but indigenous people have been working at this for years. I watched this last summer when, um, it was the anniversary, I think the 30-year anniversary of the Oka crisis. Hmm. And there's a uh, a great movie called, or documentary called, Kanasatake, 270 Years of Resistance. And so um, it documents these 270 years that Indigenous people have, res- have been resisting the systemic um, injustices that the government of Canada has been... Um, have been trying to use to suppress them. And, uh, and so recognizing that this isn't going to take one generation. This is going to take many generations, and we're all going to kind of have to come and get on board and work with it. But in the end, I believe that it will be all of our liberation, actually. Mm-hmm. I, I think we will be better people, all of us, as we kind of come alongside Indigenous peoples and the the things that they've been trying to tell us for many years. Well, that that's hopeful. So part of this is going to become is about becoming better learners and better listeners. Yeah. How how do we how do we do that? Yeah, you know, I um I think the one the one there's a quote that's been attributed to Leela Watson who's a Murray from um, Australia, but she said that this was written in collaboration with a group that she was working with and it goes something it goes like this, if you've come here to help me, you are wasting your time. But if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together. 
And I, th- I think for us Canadians, that's the first thing we have to come into this with is we're not here to to help Indigenous people. We've been trying to do that for years, or some, some folks have, um, and we have really messed it up really badly. And, and we've actually harmed people in our attempts to help. So I think what we, what we need to do is kind of take that humble stance of there's much that I don't know and, um, and I need to learn about that, about who I am in this story. So we, we have to learn about Indigenous peoples, but we also have to learn about who we are in this story. And I think for sure reading... For me, podcasts have been huge. Hmm. Um, making Indigenous friends have been huge. And that's as simple as, uh, and I'm not always so good at this, but, um, but, but your, your friends and neighbours around that, that you know, right? If, there's, if you know you, if there's an Indigenous neighbour that's living close to you, bring them a pie. Yeah. Bring them, you know, drop off, a, drop off a cart, especially now during this time. When all of this information is coming, just let them know that you're thinking about them, that you're with them, that you care, um, and and that can kind of that could turn into a friendship and a checking in. Right? Are you doing okay? Mm-hmm. What what can I do? Um, and not asking them to teach you um, to teach you about things. I mean, that might happen down the road, but for now, just connecting and and checking in with them. Um, and they will teach you and you will learn just by, by having friends that are more diverse than, than just the, um, you know, your usual group of friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, asking questions, I think, is huge. And if you don't understand something or don't know something, to ask a humble question. Sometimes we ask questions as a way of um, trying to teach someone something. But I'm talking about the kind of questions that are just from a place of... Um, of curiosity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, one thing that I always have to do is I, I have this voice in my head that I um, that when kind of these big stories come out, this kind of a voice of disbelief almost, and I'm even embarrassed to say that, but mm-hmm. that voice is there, mm-hmm. and I think it's there for a lot of Canadians because I think we were we were taught in school, in our families, in our society, in our culture, we were taught not to believe Indigenous people. And so when when stories come out, when, when Indigenous people say no, or this isn't right, or listen to what's happening, we have that voice of disbelief, and we have to suppress that doubt. We have to quiet that voice, and then we have to lean in with a really humble curiosity. I think we have to... Um, tell stories. I know I've been talking with my mom and dad about the things that I've been learning. And my mom was a nurse at the Children's Hospital in the 60s in Winnipeg. And she has just incredible stories that have come out about things that as I do my learning and I talk with her, she's like, oh, she told a story to me. And maybe I'll give a little bit of a trigger warning for Hmm. Um, folks who are um, who were part of the 60s scoop but um, my mom tells a story about being on the ward um, and it was kind of it was it was later at night the lights were already dim and um, an indigenous woman who had traveled from quite far away my mom said she had some bags with her and she was wearing traditional 
uh, more traditional clothes, came up and asked my mom where um, where her son was. Oh. And um, and my mom said he's not he's not here anymore. And the woman was quite anxious and upset. And my mom went on to to kind of try and find out where her son had gone, and um, and was unable to locate him. And so as I'm, as I was telling my mother, and this happened as I I'd been listening to a, a podcast about the 60s scoop, and I was telling her about that, and then she told me this story, and she said, I I bet that child was taken, I bet that child was one of these 60s scoop kids, and there's, so we we all have have these kind of stories of where our story intersects with Indigenous peoples. And I, I had a friend text me this just yesterday, too, about some, about stories of, of that happened when she was in school. And as she's learning more, she's kind of putting these pieces together and going like, oh, this, this story makes more sense now, or I, I understand the story in a different way than I did before. And, and I think if if folks start talking about this with each other in, in a respectful way, I think these stories begin to come out and, and you can kind of make sense of that together. I think, too, we have to create some, um, some places to ask questions. I think sometimes uh, Canadians are embarrassed to ask certain questions or we've been trained so well that we need to get everything right, right? That being right is of utmost importance. And doing things right is so important. And and where can we kind of create places where in our learning we can be wrong and we can make mistakes and we can um, we can we can ask questions that feel like feel like a really vulnerable question to ask because what if I hurt someone in the asking of that question? So th- those are. Um, I think those are really important. I'd really like to be part of some groups like like that, like where we can ask those kinds of questions. Mm-hmm. Um, Maurice Sinclair, in many, and maybe not just him, but the the folks who wrote the Truth and Reconciliation reports, they they talk about the learning need to needing to move from your head to your heart. So as we learn, how does it settle into your heart? To me, that gets at that empathy piece, right? Of of the call to action number 63. Mm-hmm. And then I think from the heart, it also has to move into a different way of being. So what kind of action does that require from us? And um, for me, that's, that's meant um, aligning with Indigenous people's uh, desires. So especially around um, uh political things let's say or if um if in if there's a um with so when when the Colton Bushi thing uh happened in Saskatchewan there's a, there's a kind of a Canadian narrative of that story and then there's an indigenous narrative of that story so w- what I've been doing when things like that happen is I I find uh the indigenous story and that is the story that I choose to listen to and that I choose to believe about what happened. Hmm. Uh, when the, the Mi'kmaq fishermen or fish, fishers, fisher people in um, Nova Scotia 
uh, when when that's in the news, I act, I choose to go to the media that uh, is written by Indigenous peoples, and I try and find what they are saying about that because it's actually a very different story than um, than the Canadian media tells. Hmm. So those are the those are the kinds of things that I've um, that I've done and that has really changed. And then if they call us to action, if they call Canadians to action, I try to step up in those ways. And that's something that I'm still learning how to do. Um, And I still get lots and lots and lots of things wrong, and I'll continue to get things wrong. Um, I think back to two years ago, and and it's the worst when you're really trying to do the right thing. (laughs) Yeah. And then you realize, oh, no. I really, that it was the wrong thing, but I think that's part of learning, right? Yeah. Um, I think part of learning is is getting things wrong and, and having the grace. And I think that's part of our culture and our society is that need to get things right. I don't sense that same uh, perspective in Indigenous uh, circles. They, there's more um, in an Indigenous worldview, as I understand it, and I do not understand it well, um, but there's there's more grace for, for for getting things wrong, and I've appreciated that. Hmm. So when we want to learn from Indigenous people, uh, you know, especially in this last little while, uh, with all of these things that are hitting the news. Now, when we were talking about having this conversation, I had asked you, you know, is there somebody that we could talk to uh, from one of the First Nations in our community about what's going on? And you actually recommended and said, you know, Carly, now is maybe not the time Mm. to be chatting, you know, with Indigenous leaders and elders and knowledge keepers. Can you explain or speak into that? Why? Yeah, these are, you know, residential schools so close in our history. Two two of the elders that I'm in regular contact with attended residential schools. And so for them, this just, this is like, um, this brings up so much lived trauma. And, And if they haven't been to residential school, every single Indigenous person has a connection to a residential school story or trauma. Like it's not, it's, it's so pervasive and so it's been so damaging and so hurtful that they're they they're dealing with their own stuff right now. They're taking care of each other. They're checking in with each other. They're making sure that they're that everyone's okay. That everyone's going to make it through this. They're mourning. They're grieving, um, and they're relied upon to teach many white folks, many Canadians. They're they're relied upon to teach us and. And um, and they do want to they do want to teach us they do want us to learn, but right now they're um, they're tired. I know some of the some of the folks that I'm connected to um, are taking social media breaks right now. Uh, some have been asked, you know, like they're they're asked for when something like this happens, they get 30 calls um, at being asked to speak to the media or or various various other folks about this and. And it's important to to just respect this time as a sacred time. This is a sacred time of of mourning and grief, and and we we 
they they have so much they have put so much out into the world already that we can access for our learning and um and it's important right now to just do that but that's kind of what i'm hearing mm-hmm. there's a few folks that have stepped up um i'm just thinking like i'm on twitter um and so some indigenous folks there have have asked can can some canadians who know about this can you step up and answer questions so someone uh, by the a, a historian by the name of Sean Carlton um, I think he's at Ryerson but I'm not quite sure University but there's a, there's been a few others that have stepped up and said you know I'm here to answer questions hmm. and uh, and to point you to two different uh, resources and so um, and that seems to be appreciated right now. Mm-hmm. I think there's a desire for many of us who want to know more and learn more. Yeah. We just don't know where to go, right? Yeah. And so that's why having conversations uh, like this are very helpful for those of us who can't, you know, find any other way. And so yeah. um, I do want to ask you about some recommended reading, viewing, and listening. But I wanted to, you had mentioned in our conversation prior to this also about a new group that is forming here in Southeast Manitoba. Can you speak into that? Explain it a little bit? Yeah, there's a small group that's been meeting for about a year. They're called um, the Indigenous Settler Solidarity Group. Uh, It's a few um, different kind of Mennonite organizations, MCC, Mennonite Church Canada, and um, I think Mennonite Church Manitoba, kind of like folks from there that have kind of seen seen a need for this in Manitoba. There, there are different groups in other provinces that do similar work. And uh, so they've been meeting for about a year and kind of this, this spring they wanted to expand that a bit. Um, and so I, I will be uh, a part of that group and we'll be doing, um, it, it's kind of still really, I'm not really sure yet what what we'll all be be invited to do, but definitely if there are churches or organizations in this area that want to do more learning and want to um, want to bring in, let's say, uh, folks who know a little bit more, whether that, that may be Indigenous or settler folks, um, you could be in touch with, with me and I could kind of direct you to the folks that could do that. And whether it will be people from this group or whether it will be um, our are people that we are connected to. Um, I'm uncertain about that yet. It, it's also a group, I think, that will that will be listening closely to where Indigenous folks in this area are saying, we need settler support, and then kind of putting our energies there. Hmm. So, yeah, it's something that's kind of new for me, and I, I can, I'll probably be able to tell you more about this in about six months. <laughs> okay, well. But for now, it's pretty, yeah. Yeah, that feels like a long way away, but we can still know, do. Right? We can. We, those of us listening here can still do a lot more in the meantime. Yeah. And one of those things is just learning and listening. Yeah. Um, do you have some recommended books or films or podcasts that we could be listening to, reading or partaking? Yeah, I in? think um, I, I love what you said, Carly, about. Um, like I sense such a desire and a and a want from many Canadians to learn from Indigenous peoples, and that actually is of utmost importance, right? Like my I, I can talk about 
what we need to do as white people, but what the one thing we need to do is listen and learn from Indigenous folks. So that, I appreciate you saying that, and I, I hope that, um, I hope that you'll do that. I know you want to do that, so I hope that that comes in the future. I think, uh, for me, one of the things that I've done is kind of messed with my, um, my social media algorithms a little bit, hmm. and I have followed mo- I've followed many Indigenous folks mm-hmm. on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, so that those are kind of the stories that end up popping up in my feed. I, I and if you, um, um, the, you know, the, depending on the stories that you like, those are the ones that are going to get sent to you, right? So right. if I, if I want to learn more about Indigenous stuff, those are the posts that I like, and then I. I get more and more of them. So some of my some of my favorites are Christy Belcourt. She's an artist and an activist. She's Métis. Um, David Robertson's from Winnipeg. He is a, a, a writer, a children's book. He writes mostly children's books, but also um, a, books for adults. And he just wrote a, a memoir. And, um, oh, the name is escaping me right now. But but if you Google him, you'll find it. Okay, uh, it's fantastic. Uh, Nigam Sinclair is another one to follow. N double I A or N double I G double A N Sinclair. That's how you spell his name. Okay, um, and he is the son of of Marie Sinclair. Right. Uh, Marie Sinclair is another person to follow in in those spaces. Uh, Cindy Blackstock is doing incredible work. She is just, if you search her, some of her talks up on, um, on YouTube, she, she's an incredible advocate for Indigenous children and youth. And, and sh- there's, there are things happening currently that uh, would be really great for Canadians to learn from and to learn about those things from her. She would be the best person to learn from. Okay. Um, I, I know there's a lot of uh, kind of evangelical folk here in the southeast. So uh, a young man by the name of James Thunder is on Facebook. And uh, I think he might appeal to some folks who identify as evangelical Christians in this area. Um, there are like some, the National Film Board has a whole indigenous uh, section uh, some of my my favorite or the films that I learned the most from. It's hard to say that they're your favorite when they um, when they may be a bit hard to watch, right? Right. Um, but there's one called "We Will Stand Up," which is about the Colton Bushi uh, trial and and kind of the fallout and, and how the 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 the, the, um, the filmmaker went and spent time with the family as that was all happening. So it's a, it's a, it's a great film. Uh, Colonization, Colonization Road, which uh, is Ryan McMahon, who's also from the Winnipeg area. I I already mentioned that Kanasatake, 270 years of resistance. If you want to learn a bit more about, about um, indigenous folks up North, Angry Inuk is also really good. There's, a, there's an incredible movie um, that people in this area might be interested in. It's called Reserve 107. You can Google it. It's available for free. Um, and it's the story of actually a Mennonite and Lutheran kind of community in Saskatchewan. And they, it's, it, it's like a small town, a small town, like maybe the size of Niverville or something like that. 
and there was an indigenous community living close by there, and they noticed uh, that there was so much tension between the two communities. And so the the Lutheran church and the Mennonite church in that community decided that they were going to make friends with this community, and they they it they took years of of kind of trying to develop a relationship. And as a result, that community and those churches um, decided that they were going to give land back. That part of the part of the tensions were around uh, land that these um, immigrants, Mennonite and Lutheran immigrants, land that had b- belonged in the treaties to this indigenous community, um, and it was given to these settler people. And uh, and so these this farming community decided that they were going to begin to collect money and um, and buy back land and give it to this indigenous community. It's a really it's a really cool story. Hmm. Um, there's another one called the Path System. You can rent it on Vimeo, and it talks about uh, so not about residential schools, but about how indigenous peoples were. Um, um, like it, it kind of talks about the apartheid system in Canada and how Indigenous peoples were not allowed to leave their reserves without a permit and all the repercussions of that. Uh, there's um, another one also called Treaty Talk that's also free online that you can access. Those are really good. Uh, Podcast-wise, I've really been enjoying lately Twisted Histories. Uh, Media Indigena is something that I listen to regularly. Um, APTN has a bunch of good stuff. Mm. If you want to learn about the 60s scoop, there's uh, Finding Cleo, which has won many awards as a fantastic, it's a really good podcast. Um, and then books-wise, I think people here would love the book called Braiding Sweetgrass. It's by um, Robin Wall Kimmerer. So if you're like a farmer or a gardener, um, she just writes beautifully about the natural world from an Indigenous perspective. It's one of my favorite books. It's just, it's so beautifully written. The language that she uses, it's like one of those books you just want to marinate in. Um, <laughs> A Knock on the Door, if you want to learn about residential schools, that came out of um, the University of Manitoba, I think. Some folks there edited edited it and so there are several different uh stories or there yeah there's different learning in that book it's it's really um informative uh there's another one that that came out that i think some folks here might also be interested in it's called healing haunted histories a settler discipleship of decolonization by uh, a woman named elaine Enns, who's from saskatchewan and ched myers and she actually talks about how we we have this haunted history of of colonization. If, if you're a Mennonite or a Russian Mennonite, um, and how she talks specifically about our uh, the Mennonite story. I'm a Mennonite, so um, and about how we displaced the No Guy and the Cossack people. In our people displaced those indigenous people in the Ukraine, and. Then we came here and kind of did the same thing. And why we thought, what what were kind of the systemic things? I talked about those systemic things before. What were those systemic things that were happening 
that caused us to not actually be aware of the folks that we were displacing and why we didn't care about it until now, let's say. So she writes beautifully about that. I just, I like, and she actually has questions after every kind of chunk of chapters. She has a bunch of questions that you might want to go and ask your family. So I've been doing that with my um, with my mom and dad, actually. My dad's health is not the greatest right now, so I know he doesn't have a lot of time left on this earth. And, um, and so I've been going to him with these questions and putting hitting record on my phone and we have these great conversations about um, who we are and where we come from and where we're going and and how that intersects in some ways with Indigenous peoples and our story here. It would be a great book to do kind of as a as a book club for Hmm. folks in this area. Well, yeah, you've given us a huge list, Monica. (laughs) I know. I, I hope it's, I no. hope there's a, like a little bit for everyone. I, you know, I people who like Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and people who like to read, people who like to watch. Yeah, I think what I'm going to ask you to do is um, compile that into a list, and we will include it. Okay, uh, sounds good. We'll include it because uh, yeah, you got a lot there, and you gave us good insight into all of the books, and you've given us much to think about. Uh, thank you so much for your time, and we will be following up with you on what you're learning in your master's as you as Sounds you good. as you work on that thesis. And uh, yeah, we look forward to hearing more from you. Thank you for sharing awesome. your knowledge and for you know being willing to share it with us. Thank you, Carly. It really has been my pleasure, and I um, I want to approach this with with humility, right? I, I know that I don't always do that, and and I almost like feel like I need to put a caveat, right? That, oh, yeah. I probably said some things that in two years I'm going to regret that I said. But <laughs> um, but hopefully people saw my, yeah, saw yeah. my heart and where I'm coming at this from. Yeah. yeah. Trying to do it in a good way. But sometimes you miss the mark. Yeah. Right. And so we will just continue to learn and continue yeah, to listen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for your time, Monica. I greatly yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome, it. Carly.